Hey, Mike, what's up, man? Good to be talking to you again. Let's talk some music, something we have always loved to do throughout our lives, and got nothing but time now, so we might as well get it going. Obviously, reconnecting with a lot of music these days is we all are stuck home in these quarantines. That kind of gave me an idea for something we could talk about, which is, well, you know, the modern version would be your ultimate quarantine album if you only had one. The, the traditional way that we used to talk about is like the Desert Island album, right? One album you would bring with you to the Desert Island. I challenged you when we were texting the other day to come up with your one album. How you doing and what's your album? And Doing all right. My album was released on August 25th, 1986, and it is Graceland by Paul Simon. Oh, okay, okay. We've listened to this album a lot uh, together in uh, car rides and whatnot, so uh, good pick. You know, it, there's already some classics popping in my mind. I was thinking about it. I mean, I, I safe to say it's probably always been in my top five, top ten albums. And as my quarantine album of choice, I was thinking about why. So I thought, you know, if you're stuck in quarantine or on your desert island, with one album to listen to, you probably want high quality of songwriting. You probably want a variety of musical styles. You probably want high quality of production, interesting lyrics, something to think about if you're going to be listening to these things over and over again. And then I think a, a variety of performers would be nice as well. If all the albums that came to mind for me, you know, this one I think is just nines and tens on almost all of those factors yeah i remember the first time that uh we listened to you can call me out mike used to drive me to school in high school he would pick me up i remember jamming you can call me out and it was the first time i'd ever heard it diamonds on the soles of her shoes i think was the other one that was on that mix that you put together and those are awesome tunes man I want a shot of redemption, don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight, far away my well-lit door. Just a beer belly, beer belly, get these mutts away from me, you know. I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your long-lost pal. Those are probably the their singles. I mean, I know they're, you can call me Al, had an MTV video that my, my kids are very familiar with, and I have to remind them every time that Chevy Chase is not actually singing or playing any of the instruments. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, they just can't believe that the short, non-funny guy is, is really the, the, the man behind uh, the curtain there. So you've got You Can Call Me Al, Diamonds on Souls of Her Shoes, but this is one of these albums where I kind of feel like when you listen to, you know, the, the best Beatles albums as well, you just go, this was their greatest hits album. They would be like rock and roll hall of famers. There are 11 tracks on Graceland and you know, frankly, I, I like them all. You know, even like, you know, I think Gumboots is probably my least favorite, but that's a, <laughs> that's a good song. You've got Under African Skies, the duet with Linda Ronstadt. You've got Homeless, which is sort of the, the traditional style song with uh, Ladysmith Black Mombazo. All Around the World or The Myth of Fingerprints with Los Lobos. Zydeco, a sound of That Was Your Mother. Graceland, the, the title track, is, a, is an awesome song. I, and I would definitely suggest for all three or four of you who may be listening, 
Amazon Prime has a documentary, sort of a making of documentary about Graceland. And it's really interesting because Paul Simon sort of goes almost track by track and says, okay, well, here, I, I didn't really like that line, or here's what we did, or we played it backwards, and here it is forwards. And actually, from that, learned that a lot of this album was, was sort of just recorded in fragments from jam sessions when he went over to uh, South Africa. And then he and Roy Haley, the, the producer, just sort of came back and stitched a lot of these songs together. I, I didn't realize it was that fragmented. That was a time when Paul Simon was traveling all over the world, right? And he, I mean, he was branching out from the way people knew him in the 60s and 70s and just establishing that sort of world beat sound. It's kind of cliche to call it world beat, but that's what they called it back then in the 80s, I remember. Anytime you had like an African rhythm or a Caribbean rhythm, you just kind of fell into that, that, that category of world beat. Sounds like a little bit of a dated term now, but I mean, this is the all-time classic example in that genre in terms of incorporating those sounds into rock for sure. She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it, diamonds on the sole of her shoes. He's a poor boy, empty as a pocket, empty as a pocket with nothing to lose. Sing ta na 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 she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. ta na 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 she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. I can listen to You Can Call Me Out and, and Diamonds on the Shoes of Shoes all day. So you got this album, you're in quarantine with you and Graceland. Do you listen to it just like sequentially? Do you start to finish over and over again? Do you hone in on one or two tracks? What, what's your move? I, I would actually listen to this one in order. I mean, it, part of the reason is I've listened to it so many times in my life that, like, I kind of know, like, what the next note is going to be when the next song starts. So to listen Yeah, like, to when one out, song ends, you just expect the next one to start, basically. Yeah, you sort of wait for yeah. the, oh, there's going to be a snare drum now, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it would almost be weird to me to, to listen to it out of order. And, and I would say, getting back to like how he came up with the ideas for these songs and who to collaborate with, it's sort of a classic pre-internet story of some record producer that he knew who in, in South Africa sent him a bootleg tape that had a couple of the artists who ended up teaming up with on the album. It sort of went from there. He had to track down who these groups were, and there's a lot of things like, well, it could either be this group or that group. It sounds like kind of either of them. You know, nowadays, you probably all these groups would probably have a, a YouTube channel, but there's that sort of detective work where he had to learn about the West African and South African uh, rock scenes, which he was completely unaware of before this. There's a, a guitarist. He's the guitarist on "You Can Call Me Al" and, and several of the of the more prominent songs. A guy named Ray Peary. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I believe he's South African. He's a great guitarist. He's features prominently on these documentaries. An interesting guy, thoughtful guy as well. And then there's a fretless bass player named Bakithi Kumalo, also South African. He's he's the guy. Definitely, he plays that bass line on "You Can Call Me Al." That doo 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 doo. Yep, yep. Dude, what's your best... Okay, that was my terrible approximation. What's your good... What's your approximation of it? Boom, ba-dum, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but it's just this iconic bass line that 
And, and again, if, if you watch the documentary, you know, Paul Simon talks about, like, oh, what do we do? What do we put here? How about this? <laughs> it's just, you know, classic how about this in uh, you know, music production history. Every musician has that sort of that sitting in their back pocket, right? That they they like to pretend they just came up with on the spot, but they've they've been practicing it for all their private <laughs> sessions for years and years and years, and they bust out the "How about this?" just to yeah. And in fact, I think that's one where you know because remember it sort of descends and then it ascends again. Yeah, that I think is one where they they played it forward and then played it backwards. So that's how okay. it like playing it forward, it descends and then they played it backwards and it goes back up. And then he went back into the da, 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 da. so yeah. That, I mean, it's a it's a pretty sick breakdown. You know, it's funny when I'm I'm sort of just looking back on some stuff here as you talk. I'm I'm reading some stuff about Graceland, and you know, we think of our our modern world as like so controversial and things like that, and and that it's a new phenomenon. It's actually not a new phenomenon. This this album, even back in the 1980s, got a lot of controversy just by you know the act of him going to South Africa during apartheid time, right, to to make recordings, and it seemed like he for better or for worse, probably didn't make everyone happy, but he tried to do some diligence in terms of checking with people, you know, with authenticity on the ground to make that work for him, I guess. I don't think it's the documentary on Amazon I was talking about, but there's a, there's another one, I think it may have been the 25th anniversary. And they get into that a lot. He has a quote, Paul Simon does, where he said, I'm with the artists. I didn't ask the permission of the ANC, the African National Congress. Yeah. I didn't ask permission of... Bootha Lazy or Desmond Tutu or the Pretoria, the apartheid government. To tell you the truth, I have a feeling that when there are radical transfers of power on either the left or the right, the artists always get screwed. <laughs> yeah. But I think Paul Simon's tactic, if there was one, was, well, why don't we make the whole world aware of how great these artists are and get them exposure to the wider world so that people go, well, why are you oppressing these people? Right. And I think that worked. Yeah, for better or for worse, it was my first exposure to a lot of those beats and those musicians, you know. So, and that helped me do uh, go on to dig deeper into other things like uh, you know Desmond Decker and things like that. Anything that could make you ever get sick of this album—that's another key component of the quarantine aspect. Yeah, I'd struggle to find something I, that I that I don't like about it. I would say the the production. You know, Roy Haley has been working with Paul Simon's back to Simon and Garfunkel days and produced some classic albums with them. It's a little bit 80s in, in the way it sounds. There's kind of a sheen to it, but who knows? Maybe wait another 10 years and that's the way everything's going to sound again. But <laughs> it's all cyclical, baby. Yeah, for the most part, I think it's, it's just a, a well-produced pop album. Maybe there's a little more sheen on it than I would like, but that, this album I'm struggling to come up with criticism. I love it. If you never heard Graceland and you're one of the three or four people listening, like Mike said, give it a shot. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee, I'm going to Graceland to uh, take everything you said, Mike, about what makes a great quarantine album, and I'm going to agree with you. I'm just going to look for a whole lot more of it, because you said you couldn't really criticize Graceland, but it's only 11 tracks. 
And if I'm going into quarantine or on Desert Island, sometimes I'm going to need a little bit more. 11 tracks total. What's the total running time? A little less 40, than an hour? 43.18. I'm going to give you 75 minutes of masterful music that you'll never get sick of because it's always changing from track to track, as you said. Mm-hmm. Very well produced, interesting lyrics, things that make you think, fun, you'll dance, you'll laugh. And there's only one album that fills all these topics. I'm talking about Sublime, 40 Ounce to Freedom. I could definitely see. There's some. There's a lot of variety. Sort of on. I mean, we're giving you thrash, ska, reggae, a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of prog rock, even if you will. Even if I can even define that term. Multiple languages, acoustic guitar, electric guitar. Grateful Dead. I mean, yeah, the great. Yeah, exactly. A Grateful Dead cover. Why not? Sublime Forty Ounce of Freedom has always been like my uh, answer to this question. I've, I've, I've actually sadly thought about it a lot, even well before we were in this uh, damn COVID nineteen quarantine. But I love this album. I know you do too. This is another one that we jammed all the time back in the days. Uh, one of the funniest things you ever said uh, about the song "Bad Fish," I remember, is that only Bradley Noel could manage to sound so romantic about two pints of booze. You know? <laughs> little moments like that that I, I say make you laugh and just track after track I'm, i've never been a huge fan of like the opening track waiting for my Ruka. it's kind of like this slow uh bass driven one yeah and but it actually is the perfect opening track for this album because it kind of sets the stage for everything that's going to come later the other cool thing is this also began life basically as a bootleg tape being sold out of the trunk of cars right right yeah this is the ultimate diy project for sure ultimately it was picked up by a major label and reissued but this is sort of a legendary self-created band and and phenomenon down in southern california and these guys were hot when we were in high school and ultimately they didn't stay hot for very long because unfortunate death of bradley noel the lead singer right as they were really getting nationally popular but their self-titled album one is the one that went huge right after he died with Santeria. But this album was out, had been out for years, and we were listening to it for years, like, beforehand. You know, if you're in California, we were in Utah, which is, you know, California adjacent, you know, as far as the 90s. Pre-internet days, as you said, but we got a lot of stuff filtering in from the West Coast to our music scene there. And so we were jamming this album, 40 Ounces Freedom, for years, even before yeah. Bradley Noel died. And it's yeah, gained a a lot more appreciation in the years since, but it is still kind of that hidden gem, which is another reason that I love it so much. There aren't that many albums where I can sort of play the uh, record store cool guy, you know, who knew about this before you did and before it, everyone ruined it by knowing about it. But mm-hmm. this is this is on that, that select list for me. And, you know, another parallel you can draw with Graceland is this is also kind of a sonic collage stitched together a lot of these songs are from other bits and pieces I mean that's kind of a sublime signature and I'm trying to figure out what it is that makes something a, a good quarantine disc and maybe it's, <laughs> there's some authenticity about these sonic collages these things that are stitched together from jam sessions that makes it seem more real maybe more to think about if you have to listen right. to it over and over again well you mentioned interesting lyric content when in regards to just what makes a great album in general when you think of Graceland, what would you, you as, is there a lyrical theme that runs throughout the whole album? You know, the, the thing about Graceland's lyrics are they're, they're sort of Dylan esque in some ways. And I know he, he struggled with writing lyrics to a lot of these songs, and so they're kind of impressionistic. But there's the losing love is like a window in your heart. 
everyone can see you're blown apart. There's a girl in New York City who calls herself the human trampoline. The way the camera follows us in slow-mo. There's just some of these little things that jump out at you or especially, you know, you can call me out. I think it's a very impressionistic song from a, a lyrical standpoint. We actually read the lyrics. You can call me out. But at the same time, it's sort of, I think I was getting it. You know, now that I've watched the documentaries and he's talking about, well, it's sort of about being a stranger in a strange land and being wowed by these sights and sounds that I, you know, I'd never heard or, or seen before. You, I think you kind of get it, you know, even though the lyrics aren't sort of hitting the nail on the head. For 40 Ounce, I feel the thematic sort of stitching that brings all the lyrics together in the song, because half the album is covers, right? I mean, they cover Grateful Dead, they cover Bad Religion, they cover Toots and the Maytals, they cover The Descendants, you know, I mean, they they, they cover everybody. B.B. King has a writing credit on, on the album. The thing that Sublime is doing in 40 Ounce of Freedom with their originals and their covers is is just sort of describing a, a sense of place. They're They're really putting you in what it is like to live as a less than working class schmo in Southern California in the 90s, you know, which sadly was an aspirational theme to a, a teenager in Utah uh, <laughs> who was growing up in, in Ogden, Utah, who had a hard time getting people at the convenience store to buy a beer in high school. You, you know, the idea that you could be in California and, you know, smoking two joints in the morning and drinking 40s on the porch whenever you want. So that, that actually kind of appealed, as sad as that sounds now as an adult. But in high school, it did mean something. And Bradley Noel is so good at, at painting that that picture, you know, of, of kind of being a, a noble deadbeat, if you will. And he would take this even further and become a junkie, which ended up killing him, unfortunately. But at this point of his life and career, it actually did. There was something appealing to that idea of living in, in SoCal and sitting in your front yard all, all day and drinking beer and skating and working a dead-end job and not doing much, you know. Thankfully, I did, that wasn't my fate necessarily. I'm pretty happy with the way my life turned out differently. But at the time, there was something there. And this album still captures that. It, it captures youth for sure. The covers are great. They change them up and they, they add a lot of their own flavor to things. So, and, oh, the, and, and the variety is so much. You get so many different styles that I just I can never get tired of this album. And there's humor in it, too. Smoke Two Joints, 54, 46, That's My Number. I mean, there's just... The song Get Out about like having a house, having a little rundown, crummy apartment that a bunch of flops live in and need you out of house and home. was me. I lived in an apartment for my senior year of high school. I moved out of my parents' house because I wanted to see what it was like to live alone before I went to college. Not many people do that, but I did that, and I did have a bunch of flops laying around because they knew they could come over to my place with no parental supervision and do whatever. So that was pretty crazy, and I would listen to that song. I'm like, this is my life. This is crazy. So good times, good memories. I've lived about four or five different lifetimes since then. The other thing about Sublime, Bradley Knoll is kind of a crooner. Again, it's, you know, two pints of booze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it's just like a mashup of a lot of different musical styles and cultures. And again, maybe it's it's part of that cool thing is yeah, some of the seams are showing, but it's real. And the other thing we you got to give a shout out to is the KRS One song. It seems like every time we talk about this stuff. You know, I might always harp on, well, back before the internet, well, but it's true. If you were living in Ogden, Utah in the mid to late 90s, you had to be a really interesting cat to know a lot about KRS-One. But you'd occasionally come across these kind of things like a campfire jam sing-along about their favorite hip-hop artist. Talk about hamburgers or steak Elijah Muhammad or the welfare state But I know And I know because of KRS-One Yeah, and I know And I know because of KRS-One because he's dropping, dropping, dropping science, dropping history with a whole leap of style and intelligence. Yes, I know. And I know because of KRS One. Yeah, and I know. And I know. could lead you to sort of, huh, I need to look into this KRS-One guy. Oh, that's the guy from, you know, uh, the R.E.M. album? So it was these, like, kind of, like, little trails of breadcrumbs that you had to follow back in the day uh, right. to, to learn about these things. Particularly, you know, I guess maybe if you grew up in, like, Greenwich Village or something, you, you got to know everybody, you got to see everybody. But if you lived in flyover country, pre-internet, you, you kind of had to work at it. Well, hey, y'all, there's two new albums for you if they are new to you, or if you've listened to them before, go listen again. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks.